thank you so much, Gary, for joining me today on the Wave Capital's guest speaker series on relationship building in a team environment. You're my 40th guest. How are you today? 40th guest? Wow, you've been doing this a little while. I'm great. Thanks for inviting me to join you. Absolutely. Yeah. For the past 16 months, I just launched a podcast on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and other platforms. So I look forward to you, uh, you know, listening to other episodes and uh, can't wait to uh, get this conversation started about relationship building. Gary, when you think about relationship building in a team environment, you're a two-time Super Bowl champion for the New York Giants, the College Football Hall of Fame. You have so much wisdom to share. So we'd love to hear your relationship building uh, definition. Yeah, when you look at sports, um, you know, in a team environment, we definitely have to have cohesiveness. You have to be pulling together. Um, and here we are amidst the NFL playoffs. And uh, you can see the teams that are really playing well and playing together, um, you know, kind of as, as a single unit. They're the ones that are succeeding. Uh, we had a lot of success back in the 80s and 90s when I was with the New York Giants. And and it's kind of propelled me in my business career and brought, brought up, given me a lot of things to move forward with the tools that I amassed uh, as, as a player. And, uh, and now in the business world, I draw on those every single day. Um, you know, really, it's all about getting a, a great fit with, uh, with people that are around you and, you know, really liking getting up every day and going to work and, and getting things done. And if, you, if, you have, if you're all pulling together, it certainly is a lot better, easier to achieve the goals that you've set forth. Yeah, absolutely. And did you always know that you wanted to go into football? Tell me about your journey and, you know, growing up and how it led you to, you know, in college and obviously on to the NFL, playing for the Giants, winning two Super Bowls. Talk to me about those uh, experiences and how much relationship building played a part in all that. Well, I was a, a young, young guy out of Crowley, Texas, south of Fort Worth, Texas, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area that... Uh, um, Football obviously was was a was an avenue for me to to get an education. Uh, that was the first and foremost thing in my mind. My parents weren't going to be able to get me to college, so uh, athletically it worked out for me to be a really good athlete in a lot of different sports. I did gravitate toward towards football, and and ultimately was offered a scholarship to play college football, which essentially got me uh, my business administration degree, which really was what my goal was to get to college. Uh, and get that degree. I, I had, I really didn't have the uh, the big picture of me playing in the National Football League as my go-to thing. It literally happened. It just, I just turned out to be a really good player and a really good fit at the collegiate level. Uh, I was the first ever three-time All-American in FCS history. It worked out pretty well for me. Got drafted pretty high by the Giants and had a good run in the NFL and uh, it, it really just kind of turned out that, that sports was my vehicle to bring me to uh, an opportunity to get a, a you know, quality education, Northwestern State University in Louisiana, where I went to school. And it brought me into the New York metropolitan area where, um, you know, we played in front of millions and millions of fans every single weekend. And we got a lot of smiles with all the success that we had. And definitely, and you know, coming from Texas and you know the Dallas Fort Worth area, obviously a major metropolitan area, uh, you know, in itself. But you know, was that your first time uh, in the New York City, you know, metropolitan area when you got drafted by the Giants? And what was uh, adapting to you know the fast-paced life of the city? And what was it like playing for the Giants? You know, back in the '80s uh, with you know, guys like Lawrence Taylor and, you know, just, you know, big names like Phil Simms, 
as your quarterback and coaching under Bill Parcells. So uh, I'd love to just hear about the relationship building, you know, anecdotes you might have, you know, playing on the team and, you know, living in New York for the first time. Really? So the, the, the opportunity for me to go to the New York metropolitan area first was actually via the New York Jets. Uh, you know, it was, it was draft time. And so basically in the spring after following my senior season in college playing, uh, that's when the draft process began. And, the Jets actually had flown me up for a physical to to interview me and, and talk. Uh, and, you know, so that was common back in the 80s. There were a lot of teams that would fly players around, did not have the uh, the of the all teams combine at that point. There were some different ways that people different teams did the, did their their scouting. And and so my first opportunity to go to New York was from the Jets. And so me flying around, you know, kid from Texas grew up down there and um, you know, flying around Manhattan just before you, you land at LaGuardia, I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> this is a, it's a big, it's a big concrete jungle. And seeing it for the first time was, uh, was truly remarkable. And I think most people who go into that area uh, probably have the same, uh, same reaction that this is just an awesome place. Uh, getting to be able to be a part of that community for almost a decade with my wife and growing a young family was was really pretty uh, a pretty unique experience. We did live in New Jersey, and during my my time with the Giants, and you know, as you said, I, I played with a lot of great players, and really, we had a great coaching staff as well, led by Bill Parcells, who you know I, I credit today as a, as a guy who pulled together a bunch of knuckleheads. Uh, we we were all from different parts of the country, and you know, the head coach on a National Football League team has to be that guy to bring everybody together. You got to set the level of expectation. That's the first thing that a head coach has to do. What do they expect of you? How do you how do you kind of meet and get everybody together? And just setting it the the foundation for success. Uh, those are the things that have to happen from a coaching staff and from the structure that you have to have. I'll use the word structure and, and bringing those things into the work environment too. You have to have the tools to succeed, and then you have the cohesiveness of the people when you set the expectations of what you're trying to achieve, whether it's on a day-to-day level, a macro level, whatever you're looking to do. And that's how you kind of get this cohesiveness. And we as a team came together over several years. You know, the Giants had not been um, a very, um, you know, well-played team, late 70s and uh, in the early 80s. They were kind of, weren't, weren't, as, weren't as great. So Bill Parcells and his with ours was his second year with the team in 1984, and we, we, we wound up making the playoffs in my rookie year. So we set the pace then for a, a good level of success, and we had great players on our team. And first Super Bowl that we got to was for the 86 season, and, boy, I tell you, there's a lot of smiles in New York. You know, definitely. And, you know, what was so special about those two Super Bowl years that you obviously, you and your team won the Super Bowl? Out of all of the success in the 80s and making the playoffs, what was it in particular about those two years? I'm, I'm sure, you know, some of it is fortuitous and right place, right time and strength of schedule, just the cohesiveness that you talk about. But you could always like point to like certain aspects of a Super Bowl winning team for that year. Would love to just get your feedback and also, you know, which players, who are you the closest to and who did you feel that those special bonds in particular? We had special bonds throughout the entire team, but I tell you, just the just the, the process of what you do in the National Football League, week in and week out, everybody has the same goal. 
just win that game, win one game at a time. Um, we kind of set that that level. We were a very physical football team on the defensive side of the ball back in the 80s, and that's how we were very much known across the league as a very physical team. So if you knew you were going to play the New York Giants, you knew it was going to be a very physical contest. Um, you know, the game was a little bit, little bit different back then. There was more focus on the running game, not as much on the passing game, but it was, it was coming into play. So it's a little style, a little style different, but it, it fed well into the team that, that uh, Bill Parcells uh, had put together. Uh, like I said earlier, we had a great coaching staff. Bill, Bill Belichick was our defensive coordinator uh, back in those days. And so, you know, getting to those first Super Bowl victories, the first Super Bowl victory, I think was a, a huge success for, for us coming together as men being able to pull together and, and be successful with a common purpose, uh, you know, you've got your little steps along the way that you have to achieve. You've got to do some certain things to be able to, to get that ultimate goal. Every National Football League team and player at the start of the season, they're all looking at the to the end right there to, the, to the, get to the Super Bowl. And for us to get to the Super Bowl in my third year in 1986, that season, right. uh, it really was a quick ascension uh, for our team to be very, very much uh, ascending in a, in a very positive way for a football team in the National Football League. And, you know, I think we had a, a great nucleus of guys. You mentioned you want to hear about some players. Obviously, I played on the, the defensive side of the ball as a linebacker. Uh, next to me was Harry Carson. And on, on the outside linebacker uh, was Lawrence Taylor. And then the other outside linebacker is Carl Banks. So our, our group together and you know we were known as one of the, the best linebacking core ever to, to play the game and uh that's that's saying a whole lot but when you're playing with a guy who's number 56 and he's sitting there next to you you know these guys right up here if you take a look at those that that's kind of who they are yeah that's awesome. 56 there he is literally the uh the best football player that I, i've ever come to know and and see um there were there's things that he just could do that were natural to him, supernatural to everybody else. Um, they really are just, you know, things that he just did. Uh, today, guys look at his tape still, and where Lawrence was the creator of all this stuff, guys practice those moves and things now to be kind of like a Lawrence Taylor. I don't say they're going to get there, but, uh, you know, he's just one that just had, had such a natural, innate ability to do do things on the football field that just uncommon and uh, so he literally is in my mind and I think most most people most people's minds the greatest player on the defensive side of the ball in NFL history well University of North Carolina product I'm a, a proud graduate of UNC Chapel Hill so have that in common with your former teammate Lawrence Taylor my parents grew up in New Jersey uh, Fort Lee New Jersey family was from all over the New York City area whether it was the Bronx or Long Island or Northern Jersey so really all in those vicinities. And I was born Hackensack, lived in uh, Ringwood, New Jersey for a short time before my family uh, moved to Florida. And we've been in and out of Florida for the past 30 plus years, give or take some years when we lived in the Carolinas. But speaking of Carolina, Lawrence Taylor, but it's absolutely uh, you know remarkable that, you know, when you think about like the NFL, you know, back then and types of players that there were and you know Lawrence Taylor was ahead of his time and you know it's doesn't surprise me that guys today probably the top athletes of today's game look back at those tapes because you know they can learn so many things I and I mean you hear now NFL players and I hear this like stress by like 
the top of the players, you know, looking at the younger generations and a lot of missed tackles, a lot of, you know, carelessness when it comes to like carrying the football and a lot of fumbles. And I mean, do you, do you sense a, somewhat a, of a discrepancy in how the game is played today? Uh, are there things that, you know, you see now that you wish, you know, were still different as you played the game or are you happy the way that the game has evolved? And especially from a relationship building standpoint. I see the game has evolved and, you know, I've been still been involved since my days on the field. I've been a, a broadcaster. I've been a college football broadcaster for the last almost 30 years. Next, this coming season will be my 30th year. Congratulations. I saw that you worked at ESPN and I, I worked at ESPN too. Yeah. So I've, I've, I've been very much a part of the game for a long, long time. And I've seen the evolution of a lot of uh, types of play and the style of play. I think the rules of how they've come across in the last several years to be able to make it a little more of an offensive game are there. But partly that is also to, due to the fact that they're looking to um, make, it, make yourself more health aware, which means that trying to take some of the physicality, unnecessary physicality that's not needed in the game on, on these monstrous hits, um, you know, all the targeting type rules and all of the, the conduct of, you know, the quarterback and can't, can't hit him in certain ways. I think there's some good in all of that. And that's, that's for the, the injurious part of the game. Most players are going to get some bumps and bruises and injuries. And if you can take away the catastrophic injuries with some of the rules that, they're, that they've implemented, I think that's positive. I think teaching at a youth level, at a young age, how to, how to tackle properly with your without using your head uh, is not is is a good thing, and I think that needs to be moving continued to do so moving forward. But just just in a in a bulk sense, the rules now allow much more advantageous things for a passing game for the receivers uh, and you know downfield. So you can't really, you're not supposed to touch them defensively once they get past five yards. Although there is some incidental contact. The, you know, the rules are very much on, you know, one sided for the offense. And so that's why you're seeing these uh, these big passing attacks and, 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 you know, explosive plays down the field with the with quarterbacks and receivers. So there's there's some things that are, are different today than when we played where the rules um, allowed us to be able to kind of mug and keep guys at the line of scrimmage and and, you know, hit them at the line of scrimmage and, and, and make contact with the receivers so they don't get down the field as far as fast. So it's a little bit of a different different style of play with the new rules that they have. Yeah, and, you know, I, I point to one example, and, you know, it also very similar to what happened in, in your recent years. And obviously, when it comes to playing in the NFL, injuries come with the territory. And, you know, when guys get injured now, you know, they have a better chance of, you know, making it back on the field. And I know that in recent weeks we saw the DeMar Hamlin injury, you know, of the Buffalo Bills. And thank God he's okay, first and foremost. You know, thank goodness he's okay. And But when you think about even injuries years ago, you know, decades ago, I mean, you were part of the that game where, you know, Lawrence sacks Joe Theismann and, and nearly or pretty much ends his career. And it was reminiscent of what J.J. Watt did with Alex Smith a few years ago. And it was a very similar type of game. I think the yard line was like similar to where it happened. But I mean, you got a bird's eye view, you know, of that type of injury. And if that doesn't tell you how much the game has evolved, I mean, it pretty much has from the standpoint of, yes, I mean, if guys get injured, they can still most likely come back. But there are just some injuries 
that guys can't come back. And obviously nothing was intentional with Lawrence sacking Joe Theismann, but what was that experience like? And what were the Giants' reactions and to, you know, Joe Theismann's injury? And what was, from what your memory, you know, how did, you know, Lawrence react to it as well, that he was a part of that play? Yeah, well, I actually was part of the tackle on Joe Theismann with Lawrence. Really? So, wow. Yeah, Lawrence, Lawrence fell across his leg, and I, and, I, and I squished Joe down from the top. That's just how it unfolded. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, it was, it was a horrific injury, and one, one to the likes that most people had never really seen broadcast, especially. This was a Monday night football game, so you know, everybody's watching the game all across the country, and you, 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 know, you get a, a really graphic view of a player getting injured on the field and how difficult you know those things are for players, uh, everybody to to handle it on the field in the stadium and people the people watching it affects them. It affects them uh, on whoever's watching it. They always will remember that play. And so I talked about it a lot, especially you know in my in my college football broadcasting days. Um, I really worked with our production teams and coach them on what to do and what not to do in regards to showing injurious plays because it's insensitive, in my opinion, mm-hmm. to show them when it's putting a player in a, in a, in a very negative light, but be respectful friends, family, uh, acquaintances that, that, that know the players. And, you, you know, you're, you're, you're trying to be very respectful on how you present that as a broadcaster. broadcaster. So... It shaped our, our our world with Fox, how we how we broadcast college football way back when um, with me uh, in the broadcast booth. And I've always had that uh, that mindset of, you know, you want to be delicate on how you talk about injuries on air. And that's why you see a lot of these broadcasters. They really they're not going to say a whole lot because, one, they're not doctors and they, they don't know and they can't they can't make a comment on on really what the injury may or may not be. And so you just have to be respectful of it. Are injuries going to happen? Yes. Uh, hopefully players, you know, they don't get injured. But when they do, hopefully they, they get speedy recovery and back to the field. And that's if that's their calling and that's going to be there for them. So that's a that's that's a unique thing. And, you know, with, with Joe Theismann, we have made, made men's, amends, uh, yeah. all of us. It was several years ago. We were in Atlantic City at a, at a card signing event. And uh, a lot of our, our defensive players from from our one of our our, our our team that was played Joe back then were were at that event and, and I saw Joe I said hey Joe I said all the guys that are that were on that tackle were were were, were right over here and he goes oh you son of a gun uh, but he he has uh, kind of moved on with that he's a he's a gregarious guy and I'm, he's got his takes on it as well. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, everybody, you know, who's a part of that play, including you, you have great insight and perspective. And although, fortunately, it was such a, you know, tragic ending to Joe's career, I'm so happy that everybody's made amends and, you know, everybody can like move past it and still everybody can be in good graces with each other. And, you know, it is a part of history and unfortunately it happened, but obviously it wasn't intentional. And that's really what makes the NFL such a unique sport is the fact that you can have injuries like that. And one play can define a game. It can define a season. It can, you know, definitely be a momentum shift of how teams respond and teams, you know, rally back from something like that and so when you think about you know Demar's injury I felt that you know when I was watching ESPN's coverage 
and this is obviously many years after I used to work at the network, so I don't currently work at ESPN, but I felt that ESPN's coverage, to your point, uh, you know, how, you know, broadcasters and how production crews cover an injury like that, and do they do it in a very sensitive manner, and obviously, you know, not portray a player to be, you know, in a negative light or seen as vulnerable, because it's a very personal, it's a very, you know, sensitive injury, if you will. So how did you feel that ESPN had covered those two, three hours after the injury occurred as we were trying to gather more information? Well, I think they did an excellent job of, of covering the injury, the play, the atmosphere, the uh, the spirit of what uh, was being, was happening, not just in stadium, but across the country. Um, there was a sense, and you can feel it when you have one of these injuries that that it uh, is affecting a lot of people in a, in a very unique way. Uh, the way the players came together on the field, the coachings, coaches on the field, how they came together. Um, and, you know, I think they were resolute in that, you know, this is not something we need to move forward with. You know, DeMar Hamlin's health is far, far bigger than this game. And I, and I applaud them, uh, the NFL for, you know, for it took a little while, but uh, they got it right and they, they postponed the game and, and it became an indefinite suspension. So regardless of that, uh, how they handled it on the broadcast, I thought was was fine. I thought they did a good job. They, they brought different perspective in. But, uh, you know, the the broadcast world is not there to be uh, provide medical information. Uh, it's sure. not. You know, we're, we're sportscasters. We talk about the play. We talk about the excitement. We talk about the players, talk about the greatness of the game. But talking about medical issues we're not doctors so we don't we don't go with go that route and that's exactly what ESPN did they 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 stayed in their lanes you know we all have swim lanes that we have to stay in and we stay in the sports lanes and that's that's what they do they did a good job of covering it uh you know and that's a just just a, something that happened and very uniquely that that is a that that, that that's a different occurrence of an outcome because you're looking, you're you're expecting to have a three plus hour broadcast, and instead, you have a little bit of a ball game. Then you have an injury. Then you have pontification, which means that everybody's talking about everything, and and it's not not necessarily the game. Um, so I, I think that to answer your question more fully here, ESPN, in my opinion, did a very good job of of, of, of bringing it all together. You know, definitely. And I, you know, I can relate to, to what you're saying because, you know, I was a former ESPN college football, you know, production assistant on Saturdays in the 2011 college football season, you know, working with guys like Jesse Palmer, the late John Saunders, Lou Holtz, Mark May, a lot of, you know, great talent. And when you think about, you know, 13 hours of coverage every Saturday, covering so many different college football games, I mean, I know that quite some years have passed, but you know, it was always about, you know, the in-depth coverage and really, you know, bringing the audience at home, you know, really like on the field, so to speak, you know, really giving them firsthand knowledge and perspectives. I mean, the talent that is, and I was assisting them as, you know, production assistant, making sure they were all prepared with their highlights and, you know, going over the different plays and the analysis of the plays were first class. And yeah, if there was ever a time that there was something that was medically related, they 
couldn't really speak about it because, like you said, they're not doctors. But I do like the fact that in recent years, and you see all, on a lot of different networks, including sports networks, that they always bring an expert, a medical doctor, maybe a, a sports therapist, sports psychiatrist, you know, someone in the medical field that is tied to sports who can really give some good insight on, you know, how a player might recover and what's the recovery time and why is this injury more severe than what it appeared it was when it happened. And so I, I do like the different perspectives and I, I do like the holistic approach and, you know, everybody knows their swim lanes and everybody, you know, speaks on what they know. And, you know, it's okay to, you know, delve into topics that as long as you're not speculative, but, you know, you're giving, you know, a logical explanation and providing logical reasoning and it's okay to give your opinions, but yeah, if you go outside of your comfort zone, there's a reason why others, you know, might be able to contribute where you might not be able to. Great that, you know, the game from a medical perspective and from a health and safety perspective, obviously, is evolving. Are you able to speak about just from what you know about CT, the things that you've learned in the NFL, things that, you know, they're trying to, you know, the, the league is trying to address and the executives are trying to address and obviously talk to you as a former player, you know, what your perspectives on it. Yeah, when we start talking about brain injuries, it's, it's very personal. Uh, you know, anybody who plays uh, football, uh, you know, you, you're first and foremost, you're there to play the game. And, you know, you, got, you wear the equipment and you're expected to be protected and you would hope to be. Uh, you know, the, the evolution of the NFL equipment uh, so to speak, has come light years over over time. Uh, you have the different padding that you wear on, on your legs, on your arms, potentially shoulder pads. But that helmet thing that you put up there on top of your head, everybody expects it to protect you in, in all instances. Well, that's not really the case uh, because it's a big old egg. It's a, it's a hard plastic uh, shell. Uh, some of the technology that is around today wasn't around back in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and 90s. Now that, you know, in times that I've played it. Uh, so, you know, there's guys that are, unfortunately, I've had teammates who have, you know, gone on and, and committed suicide because of the, 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 you know, the brain injuries that they've had. And uh, it's really, it's really disheartening when you have, you know, things occur like that. So it's something that uh, you, you want to take out of the game. As I said earlier, some of the, the, the officiating and the rules that have changed in the league are, going, are a positive step in that. Uh, there's been a positive movement forward with equipment. Uh, the helmets today uh, have some different ways to respond to, uh, to, the, to the contact, the physical contact. There's practice methods that are, that are in place right now, and there's also additional padding and you know, pockets that teams can wear on their helmets for the the everyday contact between the down linemen and the linebackers, you know, you can wear uh, a shell essentially puts on top of the helmet. Uh, that, that takes away a lot of the impact. So the more you can, you can minimize that impact, um, it's going to be better for the players long-term. Uh, but, and I, and I think here with the rules now, when you have some sensors that are in equipment that are technology driven, that have the ability to, you know, focus on players uh, and the Im impact of the that they may be having with a with an injury or somebody that hit them, and you can measure that impact. That one that needs to be looked at, uh, and so there are on on the field every single week. There is a, you know, they're responsible people 
to watch the players and the contact, and they they're looking at their body position, they're looking at their the the way they move around, their modality of of how they affect it after every single play. I think that's a very positive step because it's not easily seen from the sideline. Uh, you know, coaches and and medical professionals, tra- trainers, they can't see what happens every play because they're at a disadvantage. But if you have a a, a person that is sitting in uh, in in the stands or in the press box, they can see it closer. They're they're watching from the stands, and they're also watching from a close-up uh, view on broadcast to be able to understand that this might you know might need to look at this guy because he got up and he wobbled. Um, you know, and they'll take those guys out of the game. They'll pause the game. They'll do the right thing. So I think this is a very positive step forward again with some of the rules and the officiating of how to protect players. I think that I think that is very much in vogue that this needs to happen and, and more of it. Um, and, you know, and so this was the first time in, in history that uh, not not a, not a, um, a head injury, but a cardiac arrest occurred on field and the game actually was was postponed or suspended for because of that. And, um, you know, nothing had like that ever had happened again, had, had happened like that. You know, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of talk about CTE. There's been a, a settlement with the my, my former player group. Um, you know, a few years ago that uh, still, you know, benefiting players today. It's a financial settlement. It's, you, there's no way for the NFL to give them their health back. Um, but you know, the hopefully the financial aspect of it, you could possibly get treatment and and have the ability to, um, you know, to move that needle on the health spectrum for those guys that need that. So it's a little bit of a delicate thing. Um, but there's still issues with with health, and I think that's the risk that players take. And uh, we understand that when you walk out on the field, that you know that's a, a real a real tough tough scenario out there. It's a um, it's something that you know you 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 risk a, a serious injury and you know possibly catastrophic. Well, yeah, I mean there is you know I met one former NFL player, Vincent Jackson. You know played for the San Diego Chargers and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and connected with him after his playing days and had coffee with him, sat with him for about an hour. Great guy. And then a few years after that, he had succumbed to, you know, CT and, you know, other issues, you know, mental health issues. And he he passed away from it. And I had never, I've met a lot of athletes, but I had never met an athlete who, you know, then years later would, you know, pass away from something like that, or can't really think off the top of my head, athletes I've met in the past who have had other issues other than this topic because we're talking about it. And Vincent, what a great guy. You know, when I heard that news, it was like a bolt out of the blue. And, you know, and that was just me only having an hour long conversation with him one time, maybe some email exchanges here or there. But for someone like yourself who played in the league for many years and, you know, lived and breathed football and got to know your teammates and played with and against a lot of athletes and some of them who have suffered from CT, I would imagine, uh, it must be very hard. It must be very tough. And, you know, I appreciate you having a candid conversation because, you know, a lot of players in the NFL, they know the risks and they know the rewards. And, you know, it's a lucrative industry, but, you know, it can be taxing on one's health. And think about someone like yourself, you know, you're a family man and raising your family when you were a New York giant, was there ever a time where you had conversations with your family about, you know, the health risks and all that? 
you know, it's something that as a young player, you, you're really not focused. You know, we're all, we're all programmed to think you're indestructible. Um, and, you know, the coaches at a young, young level through uh, junior high school, high school, college, you know, even in the NFL, they're all they're all talking about be physical, be physical, be physical, physicality wins games, and that's that's essentially you know how we're all brought up, and you know I, I think every team, every coach is is still that way because the physical nature of the game, most teams who are more physical are going to win games, so it's all about winning, and in that context, you know you've got to build as a as a player, you know how you know as a young player in the National Football League, uh, you know. It, you had to produce. You had to. You had to go out there and make that big hit, that contact. And you know, I've been a part of many big hits. And you know, those are there's there's a risk you take. And you know, whether you're dishing it out or 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 getting or being the recipient of a hit, it's a it's not a it's not something that you take lightly. And but I think as players, you know, there is that risk, and we have to assess that. I don't think that uh, as young players, 20, 21, 22, 23-year-olds in the National Football League just getting started, I don't think enough conversation is made available to them or information is made available to them about the potential risks that are are out there in the game of football at a professional level. Uh, I don't think that that, that has happened. Uh, myself, I was a longtime um, NFL player representative. I was our, my player rep for our, for the Giants all my years there, and was on the NFLPA executive committee for half a dozen years. And so I'm, I'm very familiar with a lot of the mechanics and things between the National Football League and the National Football League Players Association, and how to get things accomplished that are beneficial to both the league and the players uh, collectively. And that I think has to be cleaned up continually. I think there always has to be strides to make positive positive strides for the game, to make the game better, to make it safer for players, and to also inform the players. I don't believe there's a mechanism right now that informs players uh, well enough to understand what are the long-term uh, ramifications. Of, of you participating. Sure, it's all spelled out in the player contract and also in the collective bargaining agreement between the players and the league, but it's it's not something that is really talked about specifically. So, you know, it's not like every player is, is sat down and said, hey, this is the data that we have. These are the specific things that we know are injurious to players over time. And this is the trends and things that they don't have, they don't show that data. Right. It's all about Getting that contract, getting playing, signing, you know, ex, you know, having a good time with your career, they don't, they don't, they don't bring the sour part of it into what potentially could happen. Uh, I think that will happen over time, and I think this Demar Hamlin incident is even further that you know you're going to have to you know, talk about certain things at a at a very high level. I think at all levels of football, not just at uh, uh, the NFL level, but I think at all levels of football, um, you know, you're, you're going to have to be, be have a mindset of, you know, what potentially is injurious and, and can happen to players that, who are going to play. I'm not saying this is going to change the game or stop the game. But still, gonna, I think it's going to it's going to prosper and go on even further. Um, but I think that uh, you know some of the things at the professional level, there needs to be a little more education given to the to the to the early the young players and make that mandatory for them to absorb 
uh, at least uh, in some capacity. Well, from a relationship building perspective, and I really appreciate all of your insight, very helpful. I'm enjoying this conversation, you know, because it's conversations like this that need to be discussed, no matter how serious they are, because having a candid conversation like this gives a lot of insight to the audience at home and, you know, listening, obviously. But when you think about from a relationship building perspective, is there enough or not enough being discussed to your point where from a relationship building perspective, there should be coaches who are pulling players aside or having team meetings and talking about this. And even your time when, you know, Coach Parcells was coaching you and your teammates in the 80s, I mean, yes, I mean, the 80s are a lot different than today. Coaches like Coach Parcells and other coaches, just as the players and medical staff and, you know, league executives, I mean, the sign of the times and the evolution of times, I mean, it, it's like a vacuum. I mean, that time and that moment in history, all you have is that information at that time, right? And then as let, things evolve. Let, let me jump in here, Garrett, and I, I'll give you a little, little instance, you know, for instance, you know, back in the 80s when we played, it was the relationship that we had with our trainer, a gentleman that's still there with the New York Giants. His name is Ronnie Barnes, as a head athletic trainer and the coaching staff, Bill Parcells, okay? There was no league intervention whatsoever uh, about player health. And so it was all about if the player was available, myself was not injured, Parcells would, you know, expect us to practice, you know? So, well, now there are certain protocols between the training staff, the medical staff, and they they have the ability to withhold a player entirely from practice and availability to go into even meetings, um, you know, depending upon the severity of, of what they're dealing with, of being able to be available to, to the coaches to be able to go practice. You know, back when I played, it, it, you didn't have the league intervention. You didn't have that language in the collective bargaining agreement that, that is protecting players. You have more of that now. So you have kind of a separation of the, of the head coach who wants all of his players out there and he wants all of his players to be accessible and ready and go to practice so that he can use all the tools that he sees. But on the medical side, who's looking out for the player? And that head trainer is kind of right here in the middle. So you've got the medical personnel and you've got the football team here, but you've got the, the, the head trainer. He's the one that connects with the doctors. He's the one that connects with the, with the, with the head coach. And he kind of tells everybody how, how, how things kind of work. Ronnie Barnes is a great example. He is one of the best in the business. And he is, he's been there with the Giants for, for forever and ever and ever. And, you know, he's that glue. He holds things together, I think, very well. And I think there's a lot more that can be done to infuse technology, that can infuse medical advancements and also uh, equipment advancements to help the player physically and mentally pair and play better and be less injured. And then they have also have the, the you know, the, the training staff who has to communicate the, the good news and the bad news to the coaching staff. Well, Gary Reasons isn't available to you today, coach. So you have to work on something, find somebody else to practice. OK, whatever. Um, those are things that go on and, you know, we read it because now the news is, is, uh, is out there where you have the practice availability and it's pretty, it's pretty readily available. So you'll see some of that, that information come out there. It's not specific to the health because HIPAA allows players to still keep their, their, their injuries, you know, private if they choose to. And, and the teams are not necessarily allowed to, to share about their injuries and you don't want to talk about injuries uh, because, you know, as a player, you can have an injury and, you know, it can, 
if, you, if there's a lot of information out there, it can it can follow you around. And you, you you would not be attractive to other other suitors, other sure. teams, because you're you know potentially called like, oh you're injury prone. That may or may not be the case, but you know that that I'm not sure that's even true. Fenway's injury prone; it just happened. Uh, but there's 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 a lot of different things that go in go into that, and you know. It's just it's just how how the teams work. So uh, that's why I think the advancement of the uh, the practice squads that they have now with the National Football League, the growth of those, making players available to move up on the active roster and down, up and down. Those those things are are needed because of the the practice needs and so forth of, of teams, as well as you know people guys who just you know aren't aren't, aren't going to be ready to play. There's a lot of things that are cha- have changed in the league and the game. These little nuances that since I've played that I think are, are positive steps, and I think the collective bargaining process has put a lot of this in place, and also in a, you know health aware health awareness of, of of what that is. You know, I'm in the healthcare space now. I've been in healthcare you know for almost ten years, and you know I'm I'm trying to bring you know solutions and programs to companies and employees and people across the country, and uh, and you know you know it, it's just really trying to find a way to provide a better outcome for patients more than anything and how to how to get the population of, of an employers you know more healthy it's the same thing in the national football league how do we keep our guys healthy how do we make them more 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 healthy on a week-to-week basis uh it's just a little bit different uh that i'm dealing in, in the normal day-to-day population than it is with the football team but uh, a lot of similarities well you know it's great because you are a student of the game an exceptional one. You've won two Super Bowls. You're in the College Bowl Hall of Fame. I mean, you've accomplished so much on the field. Would love to talk more about your family life and just, you know, how much relationship building matters to you as a family man. And I love the fact that you bring in your professional life, you know, post-professional football, if you will, and you're in the healthcare space and the business opportunities that you see for players. And, you know, you're such an advocate, too, uh, of the health and safety of players. And you know all the different intricacies of, you know, how the collective bargaining agreement, you know, works, uh, you know, at the NFL. And are you happy from a business perspective? And from a relationship building perspective within the organization in terms of making sure that players have every resource possible and talk to me about like the programs that you're trying to implement to allow that to occur, because it's people like you who are needed in in the National Football League. I mean, not just as a former player who could be an ambassador and, you know, obviously who speaks highly of the sport. I would love to know more about, you know, some of the programs that you hope to implement and, you know, how you foresee uh, that implementation process and how that could make a difference. I'll give you a couple of little tidbits here. You know, in the National Football League, I think that any type of health care solution that is beneficial to athletes, uh, the National Football League, its trainers, its teams, um, and a lot of different people uh, have, have a focus of bringing those technologies and things to bear on the National Football League. One, because, you know, the, the, the fastest way to market is, is through, you know, the most marketable product in the world. And the NFL is, is the number one sport in our country. And basically, it's a global, it's a global uh, property. So it's really there. So when you talk about a healthcare company or whether it's a product, a service or a solution, it doesn't really matter. 
But if, you, if, you're, if you're bringing that into the, into the National Football League, wow, there's going to be a lot of eyes on it. Well, if you, more importantly, is it helpful to the players? Is it helpful to the, to the industry and sport? And a lot of those advancements are. A lot of the new technology is. And so there's technology companies that are building, building new, new things. And I don't know what's ahead of us, but there, there's some things out there that I'm sure are going to come to bear. There's been new tech, techniques. And, you know, we didn't know what an MRI was 40 years ago. But now the MRI is, you know, kind of your go-to here. Right. You know, we had x-ray machines down in the stadium uh, halls when I was there. Now they have MRI machines in stadiums. So so you, it's, it's pretty interesting. So you have quickly you can have those types of technologies that, that, that come to bear on, on the sports and teams and get the best medical care available. So it really is. There's a little emphasis on that. When you look at the total population of employers and employees, you know, you, you know employers have a responsibility to bring some level of health care to their employees. And that's a, it's a government mandate. So you, so you have to have that. If you're a large company, most of them are going to be what's called a self-funded health plan, a self-funded insured, which means that they create their own health plan. They can use that. They can use the Bucas, Blue Cross, United, Cigna, Aetna, the, you know, the different carriers that are out there to build those plans. But really, they're trying to build a health care plan that makes it better for their employees. It's economical. More economical makes more sense instead of just buying a fully insured product from a carrier and giving that to thousands of employees. That's just too costly for today's employer. So there's a delicate balance on cost, service, and then outcomes for patients when, when you get into the healthcare space. I deal with, with some companies that work on the high-cost surgical solutions for, for companies with self-funded health plans. We we chip away at the six to eight percent of the large popula of the population's healthcare spend, which are high cost surgeries. You know, there's a lot of those out there that just eat up all the money in an, in an employer's you know annual budget. So we help there. We also uh, help with some solutions that are preventative healthcare management platform that really are on the front end of, of a healthcare solution and bring these to all employers to really bring a value opp opportunity for them to change the health, the wellness of maybe an at-risk population to where they're less risky so that it doesn't cost the employer's uh, health plan more money. So it's, it's savings there, but also provides better outcomes and also a financial opportunity better for the employees. So there's a couple of things that we have there. And lastly here, I'm working on a new solution that is pr pretty unique, and it's, it's, it's basically for senior care markets. The, uh, the, and, the, and with those with Medicare, uh, you know, I'm going to be presenting a solution to the to the to the market in the United States of remote patient monitoring. So this is me giving you all the tools and equipment to measure your your blood pressure, measure your oxygen, measure your glucose level if you're diabetic. Step on a scale every morning and provide you a tablet. So this tablet is all Bluetooth to these four devices, and it captures every day everything that you have. It captures it in, in the tablet and then remotely sends it to a data center where we have it collected and it can, we can share that information with, with physicians, your, you know, your healthcare team on your side, but also it provides a way for, for an individual to maintain a focus on their health and they'll be smart about it. You know, your, you know what your weight needs to be. You know what your oxygen level needs to be. You're going to know what your glucose levels in range need to be. You know, so those and so those are things just kind of basic things of the, that everyone who ever goes to a doctor visit, they're always look, trying to get what? They're trying to get their vitals, you know, initially before they even talk to the doctor. They want to do all those little tests. Well, we do we can do those every single day. And with this with this with this solution and, and with for, for Medicare patient doesn't cost them anything. We give them all the equipment for free. 
and and it's a win win win. And so it's uh, something that I'm I'm think is going to take off in a big way. And how much does the NFL consider you know outsourcing where they could bring in you know former players like yourself who are now businessmen and businesswomen who are in this space? I mean, NFL is a multi-billion dollar company. They could reach out to you know a lot of different organizations, but because you're a former player, I would imagine that you've had some interesting, unique conversations and offered some perspectives on you know how to make the game better, how to even you know strengthen probably the NFL within. Uh, have you had those conversations and you know how hopeful? Are you that you know the NFL will move down the path that you hope that they will? Well, there are some of the things that uh, I've been apprised of over the years. Uh, I've had conversations that I felt are warranted to bring solutions to the National Football League. Um, you know, for for me, I had a, a unique situation back in 2014, I believe is when it was. Um, I brought a one of the very first telehealth solutions through the National Football League Alumni Association and all of our membership. And so we we inst instituted that with the leadership of the NFL alumni. And so, you know, just for instance, we had a, a telehealth solution. Uh, it, was, it, was, it was the very early days of Teladoc. Teladoc was, was the, the provider and uh, we had it all across the former player population in the National Football League. So that's something that I've done. I've, I've also, con you know, visited with some of the, the, the staff at the National Football League offices in, in, in New York uh, on various occasions for some different different solutions and marketing opportunities. So I'm, I'm familiar with, with, you know, the steps and protocols. The, 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 the National Football League does have a robust, robust medical staff. They've got a robust technology staff. They've got a robust marketing staff. So you, anything that you have as a former player that you feel like is good for the National Football League, there's a way to bring that to the league. They're open to listening to former players. You know, I'm not the only guy out there that that has something that may be valuable to to the league and the players. And so, you know, certainly they're they're going to listen to us if uh, you know given the opportunity. Or is it going to is it going to be a good fit? Maybe, maybe, maybe not. You never know. But uh, you know, those are those are things that are that do happen. There are there are players that have brought some very unique things to to the league and 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 been very positive and. I think that's always going to going always going to happen as technology grows and as we we find new solutions. Who's going to be the bearer of that information to uh, to the league? And uh, if it were me, I'm fine with it. It doesn't matter if you're somebody else. I, I just think that there's there's always going to be advancements in technology and healthcare. Uh, you know how you play the sport. You know equipment, the different things that we talked about on this on this podcast that are going to propel the sport forward in a more safer way, more exciting way. And, you know, even going to, you know, make it a little bit more safer for, for the players involved. Well, it's definitely a form of relationship building because, you know, when you think about advocating for health and safety, health and wellness, strength and con conditioning, making sure that players are in the best possible shape and the best frame of mind to play such a gladiator, if you will, type of sport. And I mean that in the most genuine way possible, uh, not to be a negative. It's definitely a positive in the sense of, you know, it, not everybody is able to play a sport like the NFL. And, you know, it takes a certain type of individual, mental strength, physical strength, uh, and, and skill and ability. But it's, it's beautiful what you can see on, on a football field in terms of you know, athletic skill and ability and, you know, whether it's throwing like a 70-yard pass, whether it's, you know, rushing for a 
40, 50 yard touchdown, breaking through tackles and, you know, or, or just like the sacks or whatever the case may be. I mean, it, it, there's so many different intricacies of the game that, you know, sports is beautiful. It could be almost in a symphony type of way. You know, it's like everybody rowing in the same direction and everybody really, you know, pushing each other to succeed and to be able to, you know, accomplish a, a common goal is to win a Super Bowl, right? I mean, I mean, individual awards are great, but it's all about the collective common goal of, of winning a championship. And so just you offering your take on, on the medical side of things, I mean, it's such a, a major part of the sport. And I'm glad that there are people like you who are bringing things to the forefront. It's not what you just see every Sunday, you know, the plays that are being made or, you know, the X's and O's and four pregame interviews, postgame interviews, and and just, you know, waiting for the next Sunday to play a game of football. It's just a matter of also what you're not seeing. And it's conversations that you're having that's making the sport much better than it was yesterday and it will be much better where it is tomorrow. And from a relation building perspective, it's people like you who care about your, your fellow teammates, who care about the coaches you played for, and you're a great steward and ambassador to the game. Garrett, let me give you uh, one little thing here to close with. And, you know, it's, it's a gift. It's a gift to you. It's a gift to all your listeners. It's a gift to anybody who's watching. And it's the way to kind of plan for success. And really, it's pretty simple. I look at it as the word yes. Yes is a very positive word. Yes is, you know, it's a, it's a word that we use every single day. But I want to let you think of it as the letter Y over E over S, where Y is not just the Y, but it is W-H-Y. And that is what your why is. What are you trying to accomplish? What is your goal? What would you like to achieve? Okay. So underneath that Y is the letter E. So E, in this instance, it's for what are the expectations? What are the expectations that you have to have? What do you have to achieve? What do you, what do you have to accomplish before you ultimately reach your Y? And then underneath that is the letter S, and that stands for structure. So if you put this little thing in place, the structure are the tools, the resources that you need to have to be able to meet your expectations and ultimately achieve your why. So Y over E over S, yes, is a way to achieve anything that you want to do personally uh, or as a group or as a team. And as a football team, you know, those are the things when I look back at what Bill Parcells pulled together with our team, you know, he collectively established the why. Our why was win games, win the next play, win the next down, win the next you know, win the game, and ultimately everything else will take care of itself. The expectations that he set and Bill Belichick set with us were how we played, how we need, how we needed to fit on a particular play defensively. You know, these are the things that are coached that are brought to you. And then the structure is the training, it's the physicality, those things on a football team. But just think of it in a business context. You can have all these same these same things in anything that you're looking to achieve as a company, as a business. Even in your schoolwork, there's different ways to apply it. But, you know, simply yes. So my gift to you and your, and your, your, your followers here on this podcast is the word yes. And, and you, can, you can remember that one. Definitely. I really appreciate all the insight. That was very helpful. And uh, I know I wanted to uh, you know, ask you one more question before we depart from our interview. When you think about the coaching styles between, 
you know, Coach Bill Belichick and Coach Bill Parcells. How would you define them? How similar, how dissimilar? What was it like playing for a coach who was, nobody knew it, but, you know, he was destined to become a head coach himself. And then, you know, he wins six Super Bowls with Tom Brady and the New England Patriots. So what were things that you noticed about Bill Belichick and even how he interacted with Coach Bill Parcells and what was so special about those two coaches working together? Yeah, I think that Bill Belichick uh, benefited from being under Bill Parcells and seeing how the structure that uh, Parcells put into play with our team, with our Giants teams, how he built them, how he built the, the chemistry, how he communicated to uh, Bill did, Parcells did to, the, to our team, to players individually and collectively. And he also coached coaches. You know, Belichick was one of, you know, he had to, he, he basically listened to Parcells as to, you know, what he was going to accomplish each day. So, you know, the head coach has to set everything in motion. Uh, I think Bill Belichick absorbed a lot of Bill Parcells, the good things that, uh, you know, he learned from him. And he took that into his career as, as a head football coach and obviously, you know, became, uh, you know, the NFL's greatest coach of all time. Um, we feel like that we kind of get, set um, Bill Belichick on his way to the greatness with a couple of Super Bowls. And, um, you know, it's, it's really been fun to, to see him ascend. But all the tools and things that we learned as players and coaches under Parcells and all kind of grew together, you know, uh, we all feel the common sense of growing and nurturing and, and, and trying to achieve something together. And as you're talking about for this podcast, it's all relationships. It's the ability to, to pull together and the strengths that you have together are far greater than any one stick it in in uh, you know in the in the forest there's just one little tree out there but they're all all together you know it's going to be a it's going to be a great opportunity to 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 win and get things going and that's exactly what what's happened in the, in the coaching ranks and uh, you know you never know where you're going to need these tools and and things that you can utilize and I that's why you know I, I fall I fall back on them every single day it's it's not something that uh, the goat that's uh, I talk about lightly because I think it's it's been very demonstrative in, in you know in my life to be able to be around you know and many other coaches as well that I've been under, been around you know who developed me into the man that I am and and also the things that I've been able to impart with to, to others uh, you know who are around me and and uh, and family as well. Well, you, and you speak of family, real quick. How how much do they mean to you? I know it sounds like a rhetorical question because anytime anybody asks about someone's family, they have you would hope wonderful, amazing things to say. But you know, for someone like you who have to you know balance you know family life and playing a professional sport, and then now you know a full time you know businessman, how much is the family structure have, you know means to you and 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 balancing that and and the support that you've got from your family members over the years. Yeah, I had, had a great, great uh, group of kiddos growing up. My wife and I have been together, you know, a long time, since 1984. We got married and we wound up having three children and they're, they're, all, they're all great. They all played college athletics. My son played college football. My two daughters played college volleyball. So a little bit of an athletic family. Um, you know, that's really kind of the kind of keeps them grounded, too, because, you know, they're all they're all they understand the value of sports and being involved in things. And that's really what uh, you, know, you know. We're really proud of, and they've all done very well. So I'm, I'm a grandfather. We've got a couple of gr little granddaughters, so they uh, they kind of run our world around here uh, whenever they're at the house. But and so that's fun. So we, we're blessed. We have, we've got great kids, and they're all all very successful in their own rights. And I'm proud of each and every one of them. 
you know, us growing up as a family, it was a, it was a, it was a good times, fun times uh, to be able to be a part in the National Football League and some of the some of the things that we went through and some of the successes that we've had and and we still share them, you know. And so, you know, and I'll leave you I'll leave you uh, with one parting gift. Wow, that's what everybody is trying to achieve every single Sunday in the National Football League. And so it's getting close. You know, we're down to the uh, AFC and NFC championship games that will happen next weekend. I don't know when you'll see this podcast, but everybody's trying to win one of those. So this is a, a, an exact replica of the Super Bowl 21 um, trophy that, that we won with the Giants. Uh, and this was a gift from my kids uh, to me. Um, they, had this, they had this one done. And uh, I think it's the best gift I could ever get, don't you think? Amazing. I wouldn't have expected it. I mean, I didn't even know it was behind your chair. And for, for my audience, uh, you know, listening, uh, you know, I'm so glad you are talking about it. I'm so glad you pointed it out. And the fact that it came from your kids is very special. And it just makes you proud, I'm sure, of how much your kids admire you to give you a gift like that. Because what you've sacrificed, you know, providing for your family, what you've had to do, you know, as a relationship builder, you know, working with your teammates, getting to play for coaches like Bill Belichick and Bill Parcells. And, but it's like all the sacrifice and all the time, hard work spent and long hours and, you know, winning a couple of Super Bowls. And then you come home and you see your kids and they are what make you do what you do. They, they drive you every day. They motivate you to be the best person you can be. And, and you can say that about any professional. So, when you when you get a gift like that, I'm sure it was very special for you, and it it, it was a culmination of and, and it symbolized what you've done as a professional, and your kids are the reason why you are successful. Because if, if it wasn't for them, you know, helping you push you through, it's like what do you play for other than just a sport? You, you know, you play for your family. I mean, you play to to make sure that you provide every possible resource for them, and that you know they grow up you know, with the great values and morals that you had to grow up with when you were coming of age. Just like I just like to trick people and show them and, and unveil it. You know, just look what's over my shoulder. You know, yeah. What's that? Something big, huh? Yeah, that's really cool. I, 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 can, I can play with that a little bit, right? Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. Definitely can. Well, Garrett, I appreciate you inviting me to the to the show, and uh, good luck with, with with what you're doing. And hopefully, uh, you know, this folks that are listening to this, you know, they may take away one or two or three things. Definitely, definitely, Gary. I really appreciate the time, and I I really enjoyed the conversation. And I hope you have a wonderful week. And this was a great start to uh, the Monday. Take care. Take care. God bless.